This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. A very good evening, folks, and welcome to The Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. My name is Paul Hamilton, and I am back with you again for the next one hour and a half. This is my third show, and as always, I am super duper excited to be with you. And chatting again tonight, I have two fantastic guests joining me, but more about them very soon. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to The Late Show with me, Paul Hamilton. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back with you. This is my third outing as a host on Teachers Talk Radio. A special mention to anyone who might be listening live on Podbean. Please don't be shy with any questions that you might have. And remember, the chat feature is always open. You can ping a message to myself or either of the, the two guests this evening. And also, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. And we do have the hashtag uh, TT radio that you can use as well. Now, before I actually get started tonight, if you will indulge me for, I promise, probably just a minute or two, uh, I wanted to start with something just slightly different, and it is, a, as I say, a indulgent of myself, because this is something of a, a unique time for me in my teaching career. Uh, I've taught now in secondary schools for 13 years, and next Tuesday it's coming, it's, uh, coming sorry, to something of an end. Uh, in the sense that I am, I am leaving the the secondary school classroom. Uh, I've taught at the the school I'm at just now in Clydebank High School for eleven years. Prior to that, I spent one year in Greenock, and also a year at the Vale of Leaven Academy. And I'm moving on to uh, become a teaching fellow at the University of Edinburgh uh, as of August. So I've got a slightly shorter holiday for anyone up here might have a bit of sympathy for that if uh, if you're at all sympathetic about teachers' holidays. And and I'm feeling a bit. Um, it's all slightly kind of surreal. I'm I'm sort of re- reflecting on uh, almost sort of man and boy in terms of in terms of teaching. I, I started teaching when I was mid twenties. I'm now um, I'm now in my, my late thirties, almost almost forty getting there, and uh, it's it's quite it's quite as I say surreal that um, <laughs> these uh, these years in in the actual classroom uh, at the chalk face are coming slightly to an end. Um, not not entirely though. I should probably add, in case anyone's wondering, I'm now moving into essentially I'm going to have a role in a uh, or responsibility for the the PGDE, which is uh, the the education of uh, trainee teachers. I guess is perhaps the, the most universal way of putting it. So I'm I'm almost now. Well, a line comes to mind right now. I remember someone has said to me, "Those who can't do teach, and and then those who can't teach teach teachers." And if there's if there's any truth to be had in that. That that's what I'm doing, and I I just wanted to make mention of it, um, because it's a it's as I say I'm getting I'm getting to the stage now that I've got two more days left, um, and as I say this is something that really, it's sort of the only thing I know. I did a couple of other jobs before I I did become a teacher, but you know they were they were somewhat short lived. This is what I've done for the the majority of my life, and I've been incredibly lucky to to work with just 
some of the most amazing people I could I could ever have wished to have worked with and, and just taught some of the most incredible pupils that you could ever ask for. And, and I know as teachers, anyone listening to this, we are just so incredibly territorial, I think, over our own, our own, our own pack, so to speak, and, and we love the bones of them, even when they do drive us slightly loopy every now and again. And and to think that for some of them that, you know, this this is me coming to the end of that, those that um, maybe in the, the younger years of the school that I won't get to see them move through the school and, and get to the end is, you know, it's it's a, it's a strange feeling. I could get quite sort of gushing about it. I did I did want to, to mention it because it's something that's very much on my mind at the moment and I'm sure plenty of other people have been in that position as well and probably some people listening to this will think, oh, get a grip it's only it's only 13 years but uh, as i say for me it's 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 quite a big deal and uh it's something i've got this um slight sadness and uh, also obviously excitement about moving on to the next role and it's something we do as teachers and uh, the other i think important uh aspect that i should mention is the, the families as well i work in a school whereby the or sorry where the, the families are just as important as the pupils that come along themselves and, and they've just always been so wonderful and, and supportive of me and the things that I've been lucky enough to do so um, I just want to say a, a real thank you to them as well it's really is it's the it's the when, when teaching's basically when teaching is amazing it is amazing when it's tough it's tough and I think anyone that's a teacher or anyone who lives with or knows a teacher will know exactly what I mean there so uh, no script tonight. That was, um, it's just, a, it's just a thank you from me to, to everyone who might have uh, crossed my path as a teacher, and uh, I'm very, very grateful to one and all. Okay, moving on. So, what's this evening show all about? Well, we're talking about young people and the law, and we're looking at the rights in health and education, and it was um, planned this show far in advance I think actually is uh, as far ago or, or as long ago as, as, as two months and um, I've got Gemma Clark who will be I'll be speaking with shortly uh, and also Sarah Lynch and the reason I, I mention about the the planning for this show is that w with Gemma coming on we want to speak about what we're I suppose title what's titled is fact-based abortion education and really now it's been in the last few hours we've got the the aftermath of the the Roe versus Wade overruling in America and that's of course sending shockwaves around the world at the moment and people are reacting to that in a very very emotive uh, uh, sense and, and, and I understand that and, and there is a real strong sense of emotion about that and, and also the, the the implications of, of what that means um, for for uh, pregnant women uh, around America and you know around the world, who knows? I've no idea what might come off the back of this. And I I really do invite people to engage uh, in in discussion about this. I appreciate it is something that is provocative. I appreciate that people will have their own views on this, perhaps strong, one way or another. But I invite you to participate in a, in a civil discussion about this and as I say I will be bringing in Gemma who's uh, for her this is something that she believes very very strongly about and if you were looking at my Twitter earlier on um, I, I, I just at one point quoted something that Gemma had, had written not long ago and, and to do it again she talks about 
that proper abortion education must address the fact that abortion bans do not actually prevent abortions. They, they actually prevent safe abortions and probably didn't read that quite right. But the idea that if we, if we ban abortions, what we're doing is we're actually banning safe abortions. We're driving it underground, so to speak, and we're, we're criminalising doctors and medics who are actually trying to prioritise healthcare. So Gemma Clark is someone who argues that children need rounded education about abortions, relationships and their bodies. And there's so many ways, I think, to to think about this. We could think about this in a sort of a moral sense, a philosophical sense, a religious sense, a legal sense. Um, and it's all that that really I'm looking forward to, to talking to Gemma about. And you are more than welcome. Please, if you want to, you can you can join, you can call in, you can message on Podbean, uh, you can get in touch on Twitter. That's not a problem. But I just ask that because this is so breaking and uh, it's it's somewhat quite raw, I think, for some people tonight that we, we just engage in, in, a, in a sensible but pr- productive discussion at the danger of sounding like a teacher there trying to keep control of his class. So I'll be back with Gemma just after the news and some short announcements. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. SteveWoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit SteveWoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 £60 in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chigwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. 
The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at withaslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has called for all pupils in primary schools to receive free school meals. He wants an urgent expansion of the scheme to include all students in years 3, 4 and 5, regardless of household income. He said, free school meals were something my family relied upon and every child in London deserves that safety net. With the summer holidays on the horizon, it is essential that the government act now to reinstate the meal voucher system to give families dignity and nutritional choice over the summer. This should then be followed by the introduction of universal free school meals for all primary school children from the start of the new school year in September. Multiple London councils are already leading the way on this and showing what can be done if we put the health and well-being of our young people first in such perilous economic times. It is time for the government to step up. Official figures show that inflation reached 9% in April as the cost of food, energy and transport surges and is expected to reach 11% later this year. Polling by YouGov found that 83% of adults in London say their household cost of living has increased over the last six months. The NASUWT Teachers Union is calling for a 12% pay increase for teachers this year and has said it will ballot members in England, Wales and Scotland for industrial action if its demands are not met. Dr Patrick Roach, NAS UWT General Secretary said, Teachers are suffering, not only from the cost of living crisis, which the whole country is grappling with, but 12 years of real terms pay cuts, which has left a 20% shortfall in the value of their salaries. If the government and the pay review body reject a positive programme of restorative pay awards for teachers, then we will be asking our members whether they're prepared to take national industrial action in response. The government wrongly assumed teachers would simply stand by as they erode pay and strip our education system to the bone. But this weekend, thousands of teachers from every corner of the UK joined together to demonstrate our strength, unity and determination to stand up and to fight back. Our message is clear. 
and is now being delivered directly to the government on their doorstep. We will not allow cuts to our members' pay and a tax on their pensions. If a pay rise is not awarded, it will be won by our members in workplaces through industrial action. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, in this week's Two Minute Tech, we're going to look at how smart is a smart pen. Smart pens and notebooks are a bit of tech that make your handwritten notes become more useful and more importantly, digitally accessible. There are three main technologies used, app-based, image capture-based and real-time capture. Today is a look at the thinking process you can apply when looking at a new gadget. Obviously, the first decision I always make is not going to be considered. That being, is it a gadget? Yes, then I need it. Throughout this, the trusty spreadsheet will assist to calculate cost. Going as cheap as possible, I found a diary and 10 pens delivered for $5.99. So that is my baseline. If I wanted an academic planner, the baseline would obviously increase. So, what's the next cheapest but digital option? I found a reusable wipe clean diary. This is a few different formats, but a decent one I saw was a calendar template on one side and a line template on the other. Both were wipe clean. You downloaded an app on your phone to take a picture. The app recognized the diary entries and the handwriting and then converted it to digital. There's a lot of different makes on the market, so do compare and read reviews. A guide price would be around 40 pounds and a quick calculation in my spreadsheet says it would take six years to match the cost of a cheap diary. My question there is, will it last that long? Also, at this point, it is worth noting that there are free apps out there that let you do the same with your ordinary diary. So really, the cheapest way to go digital is to use a free app and take a picture of what you already have. If you still want a new gadget, your decision may depend on if you feel a big lump of plastic is more environmentally friendly or you prefer the features of the capture app that's being used over a free one. The final technology is real-time note-taking. Now, when I saw this, I instantly needed one. Then I remembered I type everything or use voice capture for meetings, so I'd never use it. However, that is not a reason not to want one. This more expensive tech uses a special pen and notebook and communicates in real time with an app so you can see what you're writing on screen as well as in the book. Also, like the others, it will recognize handwriting and convert to digital characters to allow pasting into other applications. At £110 for a notepad, the pen and the app, it isn't cheap, taking 18 years to break even. And with the cheapest replacement notebook costing £16 as well, this will actually never break even. In conclusion, I recommend you stick to your diary and find an app you like to capture it. Or if you have a laptop with touchscreen, you probably can do all of this anyway. For me, smart pens are not that smart when it comes to price. You do get what you pay for, though. Do you have a smart pen? Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022 and follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Um, so as I mentioned just before we, we broke there for the, the news and the messages, uh, this evening I had always intended to be speaking to Gemma Clark, who I'll be bringing on in a moment or two. We had always intended to be chatting about fact-based abortion education. And I think we're both slightly reeling from the fact that in the hours leading up to this uh, conversation tonight on Teacher Stock Radio, that, you know, what has happened 
has happened with, with Roe versus Wade. I mean, I even managed to catch uh, to catch uh, a few minutes of, of President Biden in the United States, and it was quite clear uh, the emotion that was coming through from him in, in his words and in, in his mannerisms in terms of how he feels about this. So this is something really that tonight I think is, it's always highly charged, it's always emotive, but I think tonight is taking on a, a, a slightly uh, stronger perspective uh, and on that note what I'll do is I will bring on Gemma Clark who is a primary teacher and she's one of these people actually I should say that Gemma I've known for years uh, but I've never actually met Gemma in person which is odd but uh, <laughs> because we know each other on Twitter so good evening Gemma I should uh, have you on the line now hopefully are you there Gemma Uh, I think so. We we are connected. I don't know possibly if there's just something going on at the moment with the microphone. Um, so while Gemma maybe tries to get that working at the moment. So as I say, Gemma is a primary teacher uh, based in Inverclyde in the west of Scotland. She's someone who has written about the subject of, of health education, of uh, fact-based abortion education and uh, she is someone who oh Gemma, i think i'm hearing you now oh can you hear me now i can hear you now i was about i was actually about to message you and say <laughs> log <laughs> off and log back in but you're now uh, i'll finish that there she's something who has who has written about this who, who is passionate about this 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 topic tonight and other things but anyway Gemma, good evening lovely lovely to hear your voice how are you I'm good, thanks. It's so funny we had this planned for months and really ironic that we end up finally speaking on the same day that Roe v Wade is overturned. I know, I know, and I wonder if anyone's listened to this weeks down the line, if they'll have the same impression of what we're, we're feeling tonight about this. But, um, Gemma, I, I don't have anything scripted. I just wanted this to be really a, a sort of a flowing sort of conversation b between us, but, uh, and I'm happy for you to sort of talk as you wish, but, you know, what, what what tonight in general you know what, what is it your what is your what are your thoughts on this in terms of fact-based abortion education where, where are you coming from well i think it's more important now than ever before i think we're living in really worrying times and for anybody who thinks that what happens in america doesn't affect us here well they're wrong about that um People might know that in Glasgow in particular, there's been a lot of problems with anti-abortion protesters harassing people outside of clinics. Most of the people who attend these protests have been recruited by Texan organisations that are funded and organised. So what happens across the pond really does have an effect on us over here. Um, it was also uncovered recently that there's a anti-abortion group who go into UK schools, including Scottish schools, and they also receive American funding. So this does affect us here. Um, I would say that the anti-choice movement has become quite emboldened over here and I think we need to brace ourselves, it's going to get worse. Okay, well, well one of the things I, I had read originally, the, the, the Nexus blog that you had written and, and I've got this on my, my Twitter tonight, if anyone is wondering what I'm talking about, you, you, you wrote this maybe a couple of months ago now, am I right yeah. thinking? <laughs> and one of the things that, um, of many things that struck me from it because it got me thinking about me as a teacher but also me as a pupil, um, about 100 years ago was that, um, and I can only speak from my school experience, it doesn't mean it's everyone's, is that the only time I ever came across a discussion of abortion as a teacher and as a pupil was in 
RE, RMPS, Religious Moral Philosophical Studies, and then that's very much the way that it was pitched. It was pitched as a, a religious moral kind of philosophical issue, and I just wonder what you're thinking around that is 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 that part of the problem is it that it should it should be discussed as a health issue or is it just me and i've gone through a sort of a a, a route that's you know i've sort of bypassed something but what do you think about that yeah i think your experience is probably quite common i don't think it's changed that much um, the EIS did research in 2013 and they found that um, most authorities in scotland either abortion was not being discussed or if it was being discussed it was part of an RE lesson which I'm not against that discussion as part of an RE lesson, but I don't think it's appropriate for that to be the only discussion on abortion when it is a matter of health and something that affects girls' well-being. Um, also, you know, with regard to religious education, I think it's worth looking at things like, um, you know, there are circumstances even under Sharia law where abortion is permitted. You know, so I don't think there's any place in schools for anti-choice propaganda because it's not accurate. Um, the group that I mentioned before that go into schools, they, they peddle a lot of misinformation and that is completely inappropriate in this day and age. And it's something that affects girls' lives, their health, their outcomes. We wouldn't allow something like that under any other circumstance. So I don't see why we allow it for girls in 2022. Okay. I mean, I've, one of the things that I've invited, and this is worth mentioning to anyone that's listening live at the moment, please feel free to, to pop... Um, comments questions you can even call in on podbean but someone has um tweeted me and sort of reading between the lines between what they say i think that they're saying there that that this is not really a black and white issue in terms of choice that you know it's not just straight yes it's a straight no that people this might be my interpretation of it sorry it's a mr morris and he can rightly uh call me out on this but he, he talks about that it's it, it, it there's sort of I feel what he's saying, sorry, is it's a kind of a grey area, you know, that there's the 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 young girls perhaps I think is what he's seen here, but might be very perplexed and stressed and confused because of course this is so much of this and Gemma, again this is me speaking, must be about human emotion. And and what a, you know, what a person or what what a mother of a child feels that they, they should be doing or what they can do. And I just wonder with sort of philosophical views on this that we, we somehow go to the end extreme we, we you know that where, where I often um you know there's no taboos about what we're talking about tonight and I appreciate I'm slightly ranting here is you know the, the victims of sexual assault we, we, we seem to go, always go to I think the these real philosophical kind of dilemmas and and I think that's for me where we lose sight of the the health discussion and all of this uh, and, and I think in going to these extremes, we somewhat diminish what is actually a very important health issue about the mother of the child and their decision and their body and, and what they should be doing. But the other thing I'll add, and I'll happily be controversial, because I appreciate I'm throwing a lot out, is that, and, and this, I, I say this to ruffle feathers, I really do, and, I, and I'm happily if someone tell me to behave and be quiet on this, is that as a man... I do genuinely, honestly feel quite uncomfortable about this subject. And I'm not embarrassed to admit that because I feel as though I'll never have to make a decision personally about my body in an abortion. I'll never have to be in that position. So why should I necessarily have a view on that? And I know people might think, well, at the end of the day, you could be the father of that child and you should have a view. But yeah, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I, 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 has it all become too taboo? I don't know, Gemma, I'm throwing a lot out there. 
Well, actually, I, I think it's very important for girls in particular to get proper abortion education, but I think that boys need it as well. Because I think um, to be standing outside a clinic shouting at someone who could have been raped or who could need an abortion to save their life, you need to be pretty radicalised into some pretty extreme indoctrination to think that that's something that you want to spend your time doing. So I think I think proper education is important for girls as well as boys and also, you know, for young trans men and non-binary people who can also get pregnant. I think all young people need to have proper education. Um, and I think it's important with schools moving towards the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. If you look at Article 3, it says the best interests of the child must be top priority. I don't think it's often in the best interests of a child to carry an unwanted pregnancy that she doesn't want. Um, if you look at Article 17, it says every child has the right to reliable information from a variety of sources. You know, so I think getting, you know, one RE lesson where abortion is presented as a moral issue or having some role group like the SPUC coming in to bombard you with propaganda, that is not fulfilling the rights of the child, of the young girls in our care who need and deserve accurate information about their bodies and their health. And as you're right, you know, we do, there are often quite, you know, kind of extreme circumstances that people talk about. And it's true that someone could be raped and need an abortion for that reason. They could have been abused. They could be carrying their own sibling. Their life could be in danger. But it's also perfectly valid just to think, I don't want this and I've got options. I don't need to go through with it. I don't need to inhibit my education. I don't need to cut myself off from future opportunities. I am allowed to make this choice for any reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was um, the, the, the sort of former want to be a lawyer in me was was also thinking um and and anyone who's local to to glasgow will be semi-familiar with this the, the the you're talking about the the protests that have been taking place near the, the queen elizabeth hospital and i think close to the the sandiford yes. clinic as well and as, that's a whole other probably political issue around buffer zones as well which i'm happy to talk about um and the reason i bring up the, the law there is you know and i'm promise I'm not trying to be antagonistic Gemma but I, I you know I, I sort of wondered about right okay okay right I don't agree with what these people are saying and that's that's my opinion folks I'm happy to share that um but do they have a right to protest and you could say well yes okay maybe they do have a right to their views whether I disagree with them but then when you talk about that right to protest actually causing fear upset intimidation alarm to people who are ultimately going through a probably quite traumatic experience something i personally know i'll never have to go through um and you think well i'm sorry that that, that, that your right to protest and this is my view has to has has to come second to that i'm sorry get, get away go away um and, yeah, and i know I you, you've, you've spoken about that too about the idea of like how, how can they be allowed to, to protest outside clinics yeah, and I think a lot of people, a lot of these freedom of speech warriors are being very disingenuous because a buffer zone is only 150 metres. It only keeps them right away from the very front entrance of a hospital and stops them screaming and waving signs at women and girls who are going in for abortions. It doesn't have any effect on their freedom of speech. They're allowed to have their views. They can have their they can have views that are as vile as they like. They can do what they like, protest where they like. The only thing that a buffer zone would stop them doing is harassing people outside of a hospital. So anyone who screams freedom of speech, they're, they're not being genuine. What they want is the right to be heard and they want the right to harass women and girls. It's nothing to do with freedom of speech, in my humble opinion. 
Um, I mean, if Gillian Mackay, um, the Green MSP who's working on the the public consultation and the bill for buffer zones, she's reported to Parliament that she's had young girls, like an actual child who, um, who was abused and was going to a clinic to get checked out, had men shouting teenage murderer at her. You know, so it's, it's not about freedom of speech. These people yeah. want the freedom to abuse. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and I think you're right. It's about people wanting to. Well, well, any any form of protest is, I suppose, wanting to have your view heard. But ev- everything, everything has to be within the context, doesn't it? And uh, as I say, I'm speaking, you know, for myself tonight, not for anyone at Teachers Talk Radio. When I say that, I, I really, and if anyone knows the exact circumstances of what I'm speaking about with the the protests that have been taking place in Glasgow, you know, I, I personally strongly disagree with it. I I, I can't you know, in any way um, subscribe to what's been said and what's been done. I just, I just don't, don't agree with it on any, any level at all. But ultimately I do, in, in, a, in a core level, believe in the right to protest. I myself have been to protests and whatnot, but I don't believe that any time, you know, I'm trying to think I've been out for COP26 in Glasgow and I was on my bike, you know, campaigning about climate change. I don't believe that that caused any fear or alarm to anyone. And if it did, I apologise. And I've certainly been out in, in union protest matters in the past. And again, I don't believe I've caused any alarm or, or, or upset. And, and I, I think you're right. It's the it's the rhetoric of what's been said, and it can be quite, and I'm being very polite here, it can be quite awful. And that's why I really started a show tonight, and no one has, uh, I say, thankfully, um, said or, or, or tweeted anything yet that <laughs> falls into this category. But people can be quite horrible, you know. And and Gemma, you've, you've had your fair share of trolls online, haven't you, about these oh, sorts of yeah. things? Oh, yeah, I get them all the time. It doesn't bother me at all. Bring it on. Um, but that's fine. I'm a grown woman who's choosing to use Twitter. What I object to is young girls being fed misinformation, um, being made to think that they are evil for putting their lives and their health first and being harassed outside of clinics. I just think it's completely wrong and no civilised country would allow that to happen. But I think, you know, with this being Teacher Talks Radio, it really is an issue that teachers should be aware of. We teach sexual health education and to me, abortion education is a logical part of that. You know, first of all, you want to teach young people how to prevent a pregnancy that they don't want. But we all know in the real world, like with COVID, you can wear your mask, you can wash your hands, you can do all the right things, you might still catch COVID. It's the same with an unplanned pregnancy. Um, And my personal view is that even if someone has just made a mistake and not used contraception, that doesn't mean that they should be condemned for the rest of their life as if a forced pregnancy is some kind of punishment to teach them a lesson, you know, and it's it's not good to have unwanted children either. There's um, an interesting study that's just come out called the Turnaway Study. It's a longitudinal study um, <clears throat> done by the University of California, and it's debunked quite a lot of myths. Um, for example, they found that most people who have an abortion do not regret it. It's very rare. Um, another thing that tends to be pushed on people is to go down the route of adoption. Now, I think that is a perfectly valid option that might suit a lot of people, but it's not this magical fairy dust option that, oh, it's, you just you just put the child up for adoption and that's fine. That causes people a lot of trauma. And the researchers found that people who were kind of coerced into going through with a pregnancy that they didn't want to and going down the adoption route, they very much regretted not being allowed to have the abortion afterwards. So I think that there, it is a matter of education, it is a matter of sexual health education, and there's a lot of 
misinformation and kind of an ignorance out there that I think it is our duty as teachers who care about the young people in our that we look after, that we educate. I think it is something that we should be concerned about yeah, and yeah. something that we should be informed on. I, I, I also think to that, um, and again, I only speak from my, my own experience as a teacher, as someone who has, I think, maybe twice, possibly, possibly three times now, uh, had the, un, I say unenviable, people will say I'll get a grip, but, you know, the unenviable job of, of delivering sex education as part of, you know, PSE or citizenship or something like this. And, 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 and I honestly, I try my best. I really do. I try my best every time. And we all get a bit taboo about it. And we, you know, could be in the staff room and sort of go, oh my God, I've got to do this and all the rest of it. But I do say this and I might not be popular for saying it, but I, I always feel, you know, I'm a history teacher to trade. There's nothing medical in my, <laughs> you know, kind of CV that, that I always feel gives me the right to, to teach these subjects. And I, and I, I throw it out there, I wonder that, um, is there sometimes a disjoint between um, health services and education that, um, and that might be a funding political issue, I don't know. And, and that's why I brought up earlier on that, I know for a fact, I remember whenever it was first or second year at secondary school um, and, and we, we had this, you know, discussion around um, abortion and, and when abortion is, yeah, 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 Gemma, forgive me if I'm getting anything wrong here, there was certainly a weeks or days or months when I think the heart starts beating and the brain develops and all these things and there was all these arguments about, well, if you do it before then, perhaps it's not as bad and all the rest of it. And it was a very philosophical way to actually discuss a clinical scientific medical issue and I do remember thinking that at the time and I, I'm not convinced we've moved on from that but I would love to hear from someone who says that actually no we we do this very well um, and, and it's working for us but I don't know if that's your experience too or is that just mine? Yeah I mean I'm about the same age as you so it was just the kind of religious education I got at school but I do know from speaking to some young girls who are kind of still school age and um, they've told me that it's either an RE lesson or no discussion or that they blatantly get told that abortion is wrong under all circumstances which I think is such a cruel thing to do to a girl. <clears throat> you don't know that girl's life, you don't know what's happened to her, you don't know what she's going to go through. For you to deliberately instill that shame and stigma into a young girl in your care, I don't know why you would do that. And and also as well, you you have mentioned the 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 law in and around this, and you talk about. I've got your article in front of me here. I'm just scrolling up at the moment. You talk about is it the conventions of the rights of a child? Is it? I'm just having a wee look, and maybe it's not. Sorry, I'm just trying yeah, to I mentioned up that there. <laughs> yeah, I think. And, and actually, the seventeen in particular. And and we yeah so Article seventeen, uh you you say that you you know as a human right that you believe schools are falling short on particular schools that are pushing a pro life agenda and for anyone wondering Article seventeen a uh, quote here is that every child has a right to reliable information from a variety of sources and I think that's important and I and I can scream that as a history teacher because that's what we do, we try and eliminate bias we try and uh, allow young people to interpret the past from you know a, a sort of a rounded point of view you know to gather their information from lots of sources and that, that's interesting and actually there that you know we, we you sort of wonder are we are we potentially acting in quite an almost illegal manner here if we are only presenting a one-sided opinion of something that isn't yeah, at all one-sided 
I would, I would say that we are, yeah, and especially if misinformation is being peddled in schools, which there is evidence that that is still happening in some schools. I think also with the move to be trauma-informed in schools, you cannot call yourself trauma-informed if you are not pro-choice for the children that you teach. If you subscribe to an ideology that would force a child to go through with a pregnancy that she doesn't want, I can't think of anything more traumatic than that. Mm -hmm. I wonder, but Gemma, this is one of these things that I think you're absolutely fast, uh, fantastic when it comes to. Um, I'm a. I, I, I admit it. Anyone that knows me would, you know, probably call me. Oh, he's a bit of a prude, and you know, things that are taboo would make him a bit. And I've sort of hinted at that tonight. And and I wonder in the profession, is this is it folk like me with that mindset? We need to pack this in. You know, there's no reason why a history teacher can't give proper abortion education. You know, whereas I would probably, and I've been very honest tonight and happy to. To have criticism i probably think oh my god I'm not, I'm not qualified to talk about that i can't do that and i wonder if that's part of, part of the issue or i brought up things to do with with um with gender as well and and, and whether or not that has a a factor i wonder if we need more people like you jim is what i'm trying to say more more i would say it's, it's, it's terrifying to say in 2022 when it comes to abortion i'm calling you a trailblazer in scottish education but yeah I think we need more people like you. <laughs> but again, it, it shouldn't be anything radical. It should just be the norm. Um, yeah, but I think yeah. you're right in our culture that it, it is still a taboo. We're of the generation where it was all very awkward and very, you know, biological. The information that you got. Um, but it's worrying times because sex education is under threat in Scotland. We have groups like the Scottish Family Party and some social media guy called Glasgow Cabbie who are actively funding and campaigning to end sex education. And there's a lot of sorry, misinformation about it in the media, about the things that we're teaching in schools. Some people have got really crazy ideas about what we're teaching children. Like I have, I'm usually kind of primary five to seven levels. And at that age, it's really, you know, kind of puberty and what's affecting them at that age that we're teaching them. So all this misinformation and mischief making in the media, is not helpful and all it's going to lead to is children getting less education which means that they're going to be less safe you're never going to stop teenagers from experimenting but what you can do is stop them from being properly educated and safe and that really worries me it worries me a lot and you've i for me i think quite accidentally hit on a, a point that I, I wanted to mention so thank you um the, 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 the with anything i would say health particularly sexual health related um is there's always the age issue, isn't there? Of course, you're a primary teacher. And I'm really thinking about this through the lens of a of a secondary teacher. Now, I'm, I, I've taught long enough that pupils I've taught have fell pregnant and, and had children actually continue to come to school and had wonderful you know, results and gone off to university and all the rest of it. And their life hasn't ended like some people probably told them it would. Mm -hmm. But I wonder as well about whether people might argue about an age appropriateness. And I promise, Jim, I'm not putting you in the spot here to tell me some scientific answer that, oh, you do this at this age and whatnot. But I wonder if um, that's always maybe the problem with this, that people are just constantly treating young people and young adults as, as, as children. Yeah, um, and I think your point, first of all, about children, young people who have had pregnancies and it hasn't ruined their life, it's, it's worked very well for them. I think it's important to acknowledge that as well, because when you're pro-choice you don't want them to be forced into an abortion but you want them to have that option as well um really i'm interested in the concept of reproductive justice which means that you can have an abortion if you want to if you choose to continue you should have all the support and the resources that you need to be able to raise that child safely you know, and be healthy and have the economic support that you need 
Um, but with regard to age, like I think, you know, the curriculum is set out um, by stage. So the lessons are pretty much prescribed depending on what stage that you're teaching. And I think I think they are pretty much age appropriate. It's just that people have sort of strange ideas about what we're teaching or it's it's their own stigma and their own um, sort of discomfort rather than understanding that the curriculum is based on, you know, good evidence. The World Health Organization know that in countries where they have really good sexual health education, there are less teenage pregnancies. So this is an evidence-based approach. With regard to abortion, although, you know, I'm a primary teacher, it's probably something that wouldn't be relevant at that age because, you know, hopefully children that age are not going to be getting pregnant. So I think as soon as children are at, a, at that age where they could be causing or experiencing a pregnancy, I think that is the age, or probably just before that age, I think that is the time to start talking about these things and getting that education in there. So that if they end up in a situation that they don't want to be in, they know what to do. They understand things like it's time sensitive, um, that it can be quite a straightforward and easy procedure. It can be as simple as getting some pills and speaking to a nurse on the phone, and it'll be like having a period. I think it's really important that they understand these things. What you don't want is children kind of burying their head in the sands and it goes on, it goes on, it goes on, and then it gets much more complicated. You want them to be educated to be able to make the best decision for them as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. It's like anything. It could be, it could be teaching any any subject in the world or any age group in the world, isn't it? We want to do the best by the young people we have in front of us. So why would we, why would we be hiding from all of this? So, yeah, I, couldn't, I honestly couldn't agree more. Uh, Gemma, I'm, I'm conscious of the time. Um, we need to cut back to, to some news and, and the messages again, but I really cannot thank you enough. Anyone who's listening, please do feel free. You you can join in still on the conversation. I'm going to be live until nine o'clock for another 45 minutes. I'm joined shortly by Sarah Lynch, uh, who I'll speak about uh, in a few minutes' time after the messages. But Gemma, thank you so much and thank you for giving up some of your, your Friday night and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you for having me. It's been good to talk to you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible.
stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1360 pounds in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chickwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at witherslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has called for all pupils in primary schools to receive free school meals. He wants an urgent expansion of the scheme to include all students in years 3, 4 and 5, regardless of household income. He said, free school meals were something my family relied upon, and every child in London deserves that safety net. With the summer holidays on the horizon, it is essential that the government act now to reinstate the meal voucher system to give families dignity and nutritional choice over the summer. This should then be followed by the introduction of universal free school meals for all primary school children from the start of the new school year in September. Multiple London councils are already leading the way on this and showing what can be done if we put the health and well-being of our young people first in such perilous economic times. It is time for the government to step up. Official figures show that inflation reached 9% in April as the cost of food, energy and transport surges and is expected to reach 11% later this year. Polling by YouGov found that 83% of adults in London say their household cost of living has increased over the last six months. The NAS UWT Teachers Union is calling for a 12% pay increase for teachers this year and has said it will ballot members in England, Wales and Scotland 
for industrial action if its demands are not met. Dr Patrick Roach, NAS UWT General Secretary said, Teachers are suffering, not only from the cost of living crisis, which the whole country is grappling with, but 12 years of real terms pay cuts, which has left a 20% shortfall in the value of their salaries. If the government and the pay review body reject a positive programme of restorative pay awards for teachers, then we will be asking our members whether they are prepared to take national industrial action in response. The government wrongly assumed teachers would simply stand by as they erode pay and strip our education system to the bone. But this weekend, thousands of teachers from every corner of the UK joined together to demonstrate our strength, unity and determination to stand up and to fight back. Our message is clear and has now been delivered directly to the government on their doorstep. We will not allow cuts to our members' pay and attacks on their pensions. If a pay rise is not awarded, it will be won by our members in workplaces through industrial action. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, in this week's Two Minute Tech, we're going to look at how smart is a smart pen. Smart pens and notebooks are a bit of tech that make your handwritten notes become more useful and more importantly, digitally accessible. There are three main technologies used, app-based, image capture-based and real-time capture. Today is a look at the thinking process you can apply when looking at a new gadget. Obviously, the first decision I always make is not going to be considered. That being, is it a gadget? Yes, then I need it. Throughout this, the trusty spreadsheet will assist to calculate cost. Go in as cheap as possible, I found a diary and 10 pens delivered for 5 99 So that is my baseline. If I wanted an academic planner, the baseline would obviously increase. So, what's the next cheapest but digital option? I found a reusable wipe clean diary. This is a few different formats, but a decent one I saw was a calendar template on one side and a line template on the other. Both were wiped clean. You downloaded an app on your phone to take a picture. The app recognized the diary entries and the handwriting and then converted it to digital. There's a lot of different makes on the market, so do compare and read reviews. A guide price would be around £40 and a quick calculation in my spreadsheet says it would take six years to match the cost of a cheap diary. My question there is, will it last that long? Also, at this point, it is worth noting that there are free apps out there that let you do the same with your ordinary diary. So really, the cheapest way to go digital is to use a free app and take a picture of what you already have. If you still want a new gadget, your decision may depend on if you feel a big lump of plastic is more environmentally friendly or you prefer the features of the capture app that's being used over a free one. The final technology is real-time note-taking. Now, when I saw this, I instantly needed one. Then I remembered I type everything or use voice capture for meetings, so I'd never use it. However, that is not a reason not to want one. This more expensive tech uses a special pen and notebook and communicates in real time with an app so you can see what you're writing on screen as well as in the book. Also, like the others, it will recognize handwriting and convert to digital characters to allow pasting into other applications. At £110 for a notepad, the pen and the app, it isn't cheap, taking 18 years to break even and with the cheapest replacement notebook costing £16 as well, this will actually never break even. In conclusion, I recommend you stick to your diary and 
find an app you like to capture it. Or if you have a laptop with touchscreen, you probably can do all of this anyway. For me, smart pens are not that smart when it comes to price. You do get what you pay for though. Do you have a smart pen? Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022 and follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome back to The Late Show with me, Paul Hamilton. And remember, if you are listening live on the Podbean app, you can engage with us, you can pop in messages, you can even call in live if you want to. I'm about to move on to Sarah Lynch. Sarah, someone who actually, she won't be expecting this probably, I could be quite soppy about because I actually owe Sarah a great deal and partly tonight I want to say thank you to her. But I'll, I'll give you a wee bit of context if you will again indulge me just so I can and slightly set the scene. I've spoken on this show about me being a history teacher but over the last two years I've actually been lucky enough to teach uh, what is referred to as the NPA, the National Progression Award in Legal Studies and that's because um, prior to studying for my uh, history degree I, I studied for the, the LLB, the Bachelor of, of Law and got my, my law degree. I did not go on to do the diploma and become a, a solicitor in Scotland not for anything sinister, just because I'm one of these really geeky people that wanted to go on and study and always had this passion for history and, I, you know, it was something that I think almost bucket list like that I had to go on and do. Uh, slightly fast forward, a few years later, I end up being a history teacher and, and, and something really always kind of bugged me ever so slightly because I used to think, well, where is the law in schools? And and where I am, we have we have modern studies in Scotland up here, and there's this sort of um, elephant in the room that you know modern studies is where the law is at. I would slightly argue that is it really? Is it not? That's for a uh, the I think the previous show when I had <laughs> Graham and James on, we chatted about that. Um, but anyway, I I I just recognised that the law that I'd studied at university was was not the law that I seem been taught in schools. I was well aware of places like in Australia, for example, where they, they teach law in schools. Down south in England, I know there's the, the A-level in law. Correct me if I'm wrong, there might be other qualifications too. And I used to think, well, where is it in Scotland? Where does it exist in, in Scottish schools? And it annoyed me on and off and you get sidetracked and you, you become busy. And anyway, Eventually, uh, Sarah and I crossed paths because I was lucky enough to um, secure a partnership with the, the School of Law at the University of Glasgow in terms of being able to deliver this NPA qualification. And it was Sarah who, from the, the, the outset, helped me to get that up and running. So I'm going to unmute Sarah and hopefully bring her in. Are you there? We were having problems getting Gemma on. Slight gremlins in the system, so I'm hoping... Sarah can hear me. If she, Gemma just seemed to appear online eventually, so the mute is sorry, the the mic is unmuted. Sarah, if it doesn't work for you in a minute or two, the best thing I can suggest is to to, to log on and log off. Um, Sarah comes from the, the the college sector, so she does. She's a college uh, college lecturer in in law and in criminology, and I'm hoping any minute she will her tones will appear loud and clear and not at the moment um she's probably cursing me at the moment trying to trying to log on so all i can say sarah is if it doesn't work for you in a moment or two if you 
you sort of leave and then come back in. Sometimes I know that 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 works for people. And just to, just in the lead up to her coming on, I'll slightly give you a bit more of a, an introduction to Sarah. She's someone like me who's very passionate about the idea of legal education in, in schools at, at all different ages. But she comes from the the perspective of college, and in uh, the role that she has, she actually not only teaches to, to college age students, but she actually is involved in a sort of consortium type um, setup where, where she will go to schools and teach, I believe, or certainly pupils would go to the college uh, and she would teach them. And we have this, uh, I think, shared sort of desire that, that one day there will be a, a more recognised um, legal qualification for, for young people uh, in in Scotland, in terms of in terms of legal education, so see all I can say is see if you see if you exit. Oh, I can hear you now. Can you there hear you me now? <laughs> now that's strange. That's the same thing that happened with Gemma. It's as if it's a delay. But anyway, yeah, you're I here now. <laughs> thank goodness. It's not <laughs> you, goodness. by the way. It's Podbean. I'm also blushing at the introduction. So thank you very much. That's for that. so right. And <laughs> you know, because of here. COVID, we haven't seen each other for what about two and a half years. I know. Maybe, I know. Like it's it's and I've been following <laughs> you on Twitter. And um, congratulations on your new position <laughs> oh thank you very much and, and and that's worrying isn't it because i need to make sure i keep in with the the law stuff because this, <laughs> this is really pulling me back to history but but sarah anyway thank you so much i always say this to people when they come on it's it's friday night for goodness sake i know you're sat with a wee glass of wine i'm sat with wee, i'll be a as well at the side of me um we, we are on the friday night late show i think we're allowed to allowed to do that so so sarah um I don't, again, with Jim, I've nothing scripted here. We've got about roughly half an hour at the most that we can, okay. we can spend chatting. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you like me, I, 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 we've, you know, chatted a lot about, we strongly believe that legal education is, is, is important. And Definitely. I believe that we both think it's something that should be taught really at all ages at an appropriate mm-hmm. level and, and whatnot. But I'm just curious about maybe, if you don't mind, as, as naff as it maybe sounds, you know, just... <laughs> What, 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 do, what do you do in terms of legal education? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, as you kind of introduced, the, the side of it is I'm, I work as part of the SQA at the moment um, where we would go and try and approve centres to deliver legal qualifications. What we're trying to do, not just at kind of an SQA level, but I think anybody who teaches law at the moment out with the HE setting, so anybody who isn't teaching it at, at university, there's kind of this collective sentiment that we want to make it more accessible. And whether that's at college or whether that's at school or whether it's a collaboration of both aspects of that, there is this kind of, as I say, this this kind of, I suppose, collective approach whereby there's a recognition, you know, there's no real mention in the curriculum for excellence of law. You spoke previously about modern studies, you know, where is the law in modern studies? We know that crime in the community forms part of it, democracy forms part of it. But there's so much more to it. As you know, you've done the LLB the same, the same as I did. We did the same degree at university. It's assessed in a very particular way. Um, and you know, kind of beyond that, there, there is an element of academic snobbery that we have to overcome within law. And I do believe that we are overcoming that. But what we need to do in terms of widening participation and widening access, it, 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 we need to go beyond what's happening. You know, we see now our kind of a policy level or a macro objective level they're lowering grades for certain postcodes and you know I, I i get the ethos behind that and i fully understand why why we're doing that but at the same time i teach people to you know there's terrible league tables that i 
just wish we could get rid of the book to say something that maybe shouldn't have, but something that we should, I, I think should be abolished. You know, you're looking at the top end of the scale of that, where you've got 91% of your pupils who are getting this apparent gold standard of five hires. Where does this prescribed standard of five hires come from? You know, it's this this idea of assessment being purely for promotion, purely for you need to get five hires if you want to do well. And that used to be the way that, you know, that used to be the measure of success. It used to be or of educational success or academic success if you get five hires. We're not in that same environment anymore. We're, you know, if you go to university, you're absolutely not guaranteed a job. So we're almost doing pupils a disservice to say to them, if you get five hires, you're going to go to university and you're going to become a lawyer. That's not true. It's not true. And we have such a lack of kind of the narrative around law or legal education is so, again, it's rooted, I think, again, in a bit of maybe a misunderstanding or we're not talking about other areas within legal services, which which you can do very well. You know, I teach H&D legal services one year, one year, two and I have second year um, students who leave and become very successful paralegals. And the Law Society now have an alternative route to qualification whereby you can work as a successful paralegal, earn a good wage, and you can sit Law Society exams as an alternative to the LLB, which is the prerequisite um, degree for becoming a solicitor. Why are we not doing the same in schools? You know, why are we not doing the same whereby we have, the SQA have, alternative qualification structures where you don't have to do the end of year exam and the assessment is for learning you can demonstrate learning through mooting you can demonstrate learning through academic presentations academic posters why do we still have this gold standard of five hires as being the only measure of academic success when we can see through the league tables quite often there is a correlation, or I say quite often, more often than not, there is a correlation between affluent areas and academic success. We all know that there is a link between poverty and attainment, and all we are doing is widening that gap by not allowing, you know, if even you and I are both advocates for the higher in law, I think there should be a national qualification in, in legal services or law. Um, but my concern from and I suppose a qualification verification aspect would be are we actually going to widen the gap if we create a higher in law so you're going to have that the top league tables of course they're going to adopt a higher in law what happens if you don't have the capacity to deliver that qualification so those schools that sit at the bottom of those league tables what happens to them are we actually going to widen the gap whereas we know and Paul, you've spoken about the fact that, you know, Clyde Bank were very fortunate that they had somebody who was in a bit of a, and, and had studied law and was able to implement a qualification like that. Not all schools are as fortunate as that. And what I believe that, or the, the purpose that colleges in Scotland can serve is that we can begin to um, allow pupils from whatever background it doesn't matter you don't have to do a higher in it you don't have to sit an exam but you can study law you can learn about law and you can have genuine aspirations to work in the legal sector without this apparent you know this prescribed gold standard i think this gold standard of five hires is outdated 
I think that it perpetuates the myth um, that you have to, you know, be good at one, you know, you have to be good at writer or academically able in, in this specific prescribed way to be, and I'm doing kind of inverted air covers here, clever. Um, and uh, I genuinely believe that if uh, my hesitation with higher law would be that we perhaps detach from that a bit and, and perhaps and perpetuate this gap. Whereas if we follow suit with, you know, the Law Society, who is the the awarding body for solicitors and, and is the regulatory body for solicitors in Scotland, if they're going for alternative qualification routes, why on earth are we not doing that from secondary level? Run over. <laughs> well, thank you, Sarah, <laughs> I now have to unpick, by the way, honestly, as always, just stellar points, and, and, and I wish I wish I had a pen and paper because every everything you've said, I want to talk about, um, and and I'm probably going to forget some of them because you know, it's Friday night, and and I'm a broken man almost at the end of term. I think um, you can probably but, tell I've been waiting I, to say I, that for I, quite some time. I, I will. I will off the back of that can you know come back with stuff that you know I agree with and maybe add to that you know mm -hmm. I um because of my own selfish bias the minute I <laughs> you know got wind of a pupil fourth year fifth year whatever who intimated some sort of interest in law I can't hide from the fact I would sort of jump all over that and say great you know I'm going to yeah, do everything absolutely. I can in my power and 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 where I've been teaching for the last you know umpteen years um our demographic is what it is and it's and it's challenging and i used to get really and and young people who actually now have done the diploma i'm talking about have been right through it and, and i remember fantastic. taking them i remember taking them on visits myself to places like the university of glasgow which mm -hmm. if anyone's ever been to looks like hogwarts and it's looks a bit <laughs> fantasy and they would stand there and i'm not saying this to get attention and they would say oh my god i'm not good enough to be here and all the rest of it and it used to drive me literally you know yeah bonkers thinking about this so there is there is an elitist thing about the subject of law i, I don't ever hide from that, that, and that, that I, I do think as well that you know there's a it's a generational issue um and you know we're perhaps not as young as we used to be <laughs> and when yeah, we speak for when, yourself, speak for yourself. Speak for myself but when we <laughs> When we did law, it, I don't know how I got in. I mean, my if I look at these terrible league tables, my school, I went to Kirkwell Grammar School in Orkney. I'm from the Orkney Islands. And to study law, I had to move out at 17 and live on my own. Um, and this is one of the things that I'm talking about in, in terms of equity. Not everybody will have my parents. My dad was actually my modern studies teacher. Um, so not everybody has the the opportunity to go and study. I had to move to Aberdeen on my own at 17, live on my own. I have a daughter who's nearly 12 now and the thought of her living on her own in a city terrifies me. And, you know, that was that was kind of the way that it was, you know, you were taught you have to go to uni. Um, and when I went, I, I was same as you, I, I went not, not having studied law um, and I probably just went because I quite liked a bit of, you know, I like discussion, I like to debate. And it was really difficult when I got there because there were so many people that seemed to have their life set out, you know, their, their mom or dad was maybe the head of the NHL, they did something that, that 
they were on track and they'd always been on track. And I graduated in 2006 and I really don't think that that much has changed in terms of that, that you are going, when you go to law or study law, you are going to meet people who have always been on track. Their parents will be lawyers or, you know, that's that's just the, the type of area that's like, it's like medicine. You know, you're always going to have people whose parents are both doctors and things and, and things like that. But what we have to do in terms of trying to to bridge the gap with that is get this or detach from this kind of stigma that you have to be good at regurgitating information in an exam to be good at a subject and that's where my hesitation with higher law comes from because you're going to have an end of year exam and actually the SQA have a huge portfolio of different types of qualifications that afford really authentic assessment that can provide evidence of learning in different ways and that is not that it is easier it just provides assessment or evidence or allows candidates to provide assessment evidence in lots of different ways and some of those things can be um, and you'll know yourself from teaching Scots law as I do to the I teach school college partnerships um, in the SCQF level six in the same um, qualification that Clyde Bank were approved to deliver and I teach students from that very top end of the league table right down to people who have you know um, a 14% chance of getting hires and I have people from, um, for example, Wester Hills Academy that are coming on to HNC Legal Services. They're leaving school at 16 and they're going to come and do HNC Legal Services after the summer. And that to them was something that just was not discussed. It, it, you know, it wasn't something that was um, or seemed attainable. You're talking about aspirations previously on your, your Twitter posts, and I totally agree with that. It's something that is seen as unattainable. And what we need to do is encourage anyone that it is attainable and, and law is an accessible subject it impacts us in our daily lives it impacts everything we do but there's this there's almost this detachment because of I, as i say i think it's a generational issue especially for people that are coming to college to study it as part part of a school college partnership college traditionally is seen as somewhere you go if you can't go to uni or if you want to um, get a vocational qualification, then you go to college. We need to get away from that, because if we're wanting to establish really meaningful qualifications and learning experiences for pupils in Scotland, then I genuinely believe that colleges can support schools in that. Not everyone, you know, not every school is fortunate enough to have a teacher that's perhaps confident in delivering legal services, whether that's at level six or uh, I teach, for example, school college partnership courses at level eight. So I've got sixth years who have loads of gaps in their timetable and, and do a level eight course with me, which is the equivalent of an H&D or year two university. These are really accessible qualifications that we're not talking about because uni is the gold standard. Five hires is the gold standard. Well, that's fine, but there are bridges to that that means that it's not only going to be those top schools from affluent areas that produce candidates that are able to do that. And one of the issues is, which I noted down actually, when I was looking at um, the UKIS, UCAS tariff points, is that the MPA that you and I both had previously taught, Paul, is worth 16 points, which is the equivalent of a D at higher. Now, you will know the work that the students put in with the the, the kind of uh, Crime and Society and Scots Law unit that, units that are on that. It's the equivalent of a higher D. And this is where I'm, what I'm saying is that there's not enough 
um, waiting or you know the quality of the evidence is not being uh, or, or what I would say is it, there's not enough recognition that's what I'm trying to say there's not enough recognition of the qualifications and the work that these candidates are, are putting in and that's why I'm saying at a macro objective level at a policy level we need to be changing this view of this gold standard who dictates what the gold standard actually is these five hires you can get five hires and still not get in there was somebody recently that was reported as getting 10 hires across fifth and sixth year and they did not get into edinburgh university five hires is not the same as it was 30 years ago and we need to adjust expectations we need to adjust policies we need to adjust the curriculum because really we're doing people's a disservice if we don't do that just a small job then yeah just a little bit I'll <laughs> just just a little well bit. i just phone nicola sturgeon now <laughs> but no listen you're, you're you're absolutely spot on now i am not an optimistic person right i know sometimes <laughs> you might people might think i'm quite a happy-go-lucky guy but trust me you know, when you get to know that I'm quite grumpy, I'm quite pessimistic and all the rest of it. But I do <laughs> cling to the fact, and I will happily be crucified by anyone listening about this, that in, in Scotland, at least at the moment, apologies anyone else with our system not interested in this, you know, everything is up for reform at the moment. Our, our, our assessment body, our Education Scotland and whatnot, and, and I hear people saying, oh, you know, what's going to happen is they're just going to move seats, they're going to move desks and change the titles and whatnot. But this, for me, is part of the discussion. And for anyone who's listening and does not 100% get the difference between the NPA that we're talking about and the traditional National 5 and higher type level, the, the, the qualification that I teach at Clydebank High School, or had been teaching at Clydebank High School, hugely thanks to, to Sarah, um, was there's no final assessment you know the idea is that there's this ongoing assessment that the, the work that you know is done and submitted throughout the year actually contributes to the to the gaining of the final award now that means you only amass a certain amount of credits or points as Sarah puts I should know the answer I can't remember his credits or points but you know but yeah, you don't I'm, get I'm a grade from the, ABC yeah, and pass fail that's it. So in terms of, you know, going towards university qualifications in UCAS, which everyone will be familiar with listening, I'm sure, you know, people, it's not like I can estimate someone in legal studies at the moment for, a, you know, a grade A or a grade B or a grade C or something like that. They just, they just pass or fail. Um, and I, 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 I love the NPA. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, do you? Because oh, no, I, no, no, no. That, that's where I was going. That was where I was going. Bear with me. Bear with me. Uh, because... I actually now I'm really sold on that model because mm -hmm. I quite happily um, and might get into trouble for saying it. I really hate high stakes examinations. I really I, I detest them. Um, the the uh, sorry, did I cut off there? No, you're fine. I'm back. That's okay. Sorry, my computer screen <laughs> and I didn't know if I get cut off. Anyway, uh, I I really do. I I I I despise them. I, I detest them. They they, they because. I have taught over the years far too many young people who are so utterly capable yeah. and know their subject inside and out, are passionate about it, who love it, have given everything to it. But when it's come down to that final exam on that day, either something in their life has conspired against them, nerves has got the better of them, time has got the better of them, and I just 
never, ever, ever as a teacher have felt comfortable with that actually when it comes to assessment, what we're doing is assessing people on how quickly sometimes they can carry out, you know, a piece of knowledge or a, piece, or a skill or something like that. And MPAs mm-hmm. for me completely get rid of that because we can do it at a time, a place, a setting that's appropriate for them. So I kind of hope moving forward that we, there's more of that. I think I think what you're talking about and what we've what you've identified is what I would call authentic assessment. We've seen, um, I'm sure you, Luke, uh, sorry, Lee Coots at Strathclyde talking about more authentic assessment for teaching qualifications for college lecturers, which is fantastic. You know, rather than this kind of one summative end end of term assessment and and exams, I absolutely agree that exams have an inherent value to qualifications. I think performing under pressure to a certain extent is important within certain vocations but you know when I'm teaching for example school college partnerships and I get to the point where they're on exam leave and they've got the MPA which is the qualification that you've discussed they've maybe got um, an assessment with me or they have an essay to write plus a full examination diet it's too much um, and, you know, the College Development Network, it's worth talking about the College Development Network because they are really, um, they they want to see change. They, they are somebody that, or they're a, the College Development Network are essentially trying to establish a more integrated learner journey. They published a paper which said that, you know, at policy level, which is what I've discussed, that there are issues associated with establishing kind of, I suppose, reformed learner pathways, things like you might come and want to study law with us because a teacher may not feel comfortable or you might not have the capacity to deliver that at school. You can come and do it at college for one or two afternoons a week whilst you're at school. You just timetabled for that. But then what that doesn't take into account are the fact that or is the fact that you have a full examination diet at the end of that as well. So I think that exams in terms of national qualifications, they have their value. But when we're trying to establish perhaps a more non-traditional subject, I mean, sociology was has been established as a higher. The uptake on that was quite was quite good um, from an SQA's perspective. The number of candidates being put forward for that was quite high um, for for quite a not a niche subject but a specialist subject but quite a few of the the school pupils that come to me um, and I, I have to say I teach the school I've developed school college part- partnerships which means that um, it's all S4 to S6 pupils across Edinburgh and the Lothians can come and do law at college two days a week um, and that's that's at SCQF level six which is the equivalent of a higher and um, I'm developing it at level seven which is the equivalent of advanced higher and there are those who are working um, towards advanced hours in sixth year who can do it completely open learning in their own time online um, at level eight. Most of those people, I have to say, have, have gone on to university and there are probably people that would have succeeded anyway. But when we're talking about level six or implementation, even at level four and level five in the SCQF framework, there's so much more that we could be doing. We, I genuinely believe we're doing the pupils a disservice and it's absolutely nothing to do with teachers. Um, it, it's to do with the curriculum being, it's not It's not up to date. Um, the, the kind of concerns that you voiced around, you know, end of year exams and the world has changed um, and the way that we assess has not. And that again is doing our pupils a disservice. 
you know people talk about anxiety and all these different aspects and we can talk about um i suppose through remote learning that's it's helped a little bit in terms of anxiety i find within um, students who are perhaps mainstream students not schools students but other students who are maybe a bit nervous they quite like the fact that they can maybe not put a camera on and things like that but that's that's not the real world and we do have to get back to some element of normality but surely there needs to be some happy medium between that in terms of the as you're talking about the high stakes exam and the NPA whereby we have continual assessment which I believe genuinely reflects the abilities of the learner and we can you know if you're a, a learning to be a joiner or a hairdresser at college you can be observed why can't you be observed debating or mooting as a law student and be graded on that or you know be given a pass on that so i totally agree with you in in, in terms of we're, we're not getting it right at the moment and those league tables are demonstrative demonstrative of the fact or, or certainly demonstrate that we do not have an equitable curriculum for all peoples in scotland and Colleges, I believe, can help to bridge the gap in that if, if teachers don't feel that they have capacity to, to deliver that. But also, um, it's very difficult to, to be able to, when we've spoken about previously trying to establish a national qualification like a hiring law, are we going to widen the gap if we just bring in another exam? So, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of things to, to think about. Um, and my... I, I kind of my gut feeling in the same way that you've discussed is the same in terms of this kind of alternative quali qualification structure or, or assessment model the law society which is the regulatory body of solicitors in scotland is doing it why are we not implementing that and, and establishing progressive pathways from s4 onwards that establishes not you don't need to just be a lawyer you can be a paralegal you can you know, go ahead you can work in the criminal justice system there are so many opportunities beyond the llb and we know that the llb it you know it's assessed in the traditional way you get an essay and you've got loads of exams to do in that there's no reason why you have to do the llb but you're told still you need to get these five hires and you need to go to university and i just don't think it's true i don't think that it is fair to say to people that that is what you need to do and you will be a lawyer because there are no guarantees um however if you complete uh, a separate you know specific legal qualification then there is an opportunity for employment perhaps in other areas of the legal sector which could lead to to that ultimate qualification so i think we need to we need to look around a more authentic approach to assessment um, and also really review the, the route to qualification for, for pupils in establishing these pathways, which could include college as part of that. Okay, that's us now entering the, the last five minutes. A reminder that if you are uh, tuning, in, uh, tuning in live at the moment, that you can uh, engage with us uh, live on the chat. You can also, for the next few minutes, get involved on Twitter with the hashtag TT Radio. And also, uh, just off the back of that, great to see wonderful friend of mine's Aika. Uh, from Bosnia and uh, Sarajevo, who's popped in a question. Gemma, um, I'm not sure if I can get Gemma back in, but I'll, I'll have a go at this. I don't know if you can see this on your screen, Sarah. It's about, well, she's mentioned both the subjects tonight, the teaching of abortion education, also about law. And what she's t asking really is about how do you stay impartial 
with your students when it comes to <laughs> I know and 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 what what I, I've I've chatted about this um actually at length um a couple of times and I for me it's it, it's a there's no I can't give you any kind of finite definitive answer what I can say to you is there's a there's a sort of a professional judgment about what you can and what you cannot say and how you can say something and how mm-hmm. you cannot say it and, and taking a line <laughs> but also as well and I believe that this makes for very good teachers and uh, I don't say that from some sort of uh, learned position I promise I'm still I'm still learning like everyone else uh, that you know we, we are human and we are human beings and we, we 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 still have at the end of the day you know we still have emotions we still have feelings we still have opinions and you know it's okay I think sometimes to express an opinion uh, it's a bit like when I'm speaking to Gemma you know but as long as it doesn't cause hurt and upset you know I will sometimes um, have a go about Brexit I will sometimes you know slag off Boris Johnson and that's just because Always. of the mood that I'm in <laughs> that I'm in that day and I don't yeah. think that I you know and people might you know, message in and say, oh, for goodness sake, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't think, say that. But, you know, but we're, can... we are still human beings. We're not autonomous robots. But ultimately, we shouldn't be peddling, as Gemma said, misinformation and lies and mistruths. I think I quite often, I mean, what you're speaking about in terms of Boris Johnson, I've used that as an example of, you know, you quite often you get asked awkward questions and you think, oh, that's a bit, I don't want, you know, I can't really answer that. And the rebuff is just like, well, what do you think about that? You know, what do you think about the question that you've just asked me? So something like Boris Johnson's uh, conduct, you can frame that under the rule of law and you can talk about the fact that no one is above the law and no one is below the law. And for the law or the rule of law to operate in a fair and equitable system, it has to apply to us all equally regardless of our position and frame it it to the the pupils or students as, what do you think of that? So you can kind of get your opinions across in, (laughs) in a different way without actually them being your own, you know, allowing the, the students to form their own opinions, perhaps framing it in the guise of law, um, it, it, some, it ends up, you know, sometimes you're the one that learns something from them. So I, I often find that that's the best way to do it. You're making me think about the times, because of course this never actually happens. <laughs> this is just a joke that I'm about to say when a young person asks you about something that you really should know the answer to. And you think, <laughs> yeah. now that's great. Why now, don't we find that out together? Why don't we find that out together by you going on to your phone and googling it and I will time you for how long it takes you to find that out. Time legal research skills, excellent. (laughs) You know I'd I'd be doing you a disservice if I just told you the answer, I should should empower you to go off and and, and enter research. That's an excellent question, let's put it on the board and I'll find out. (laughs) And I I have to say when I'm teaching history and and they look at you with such disappointment because they really expect you to know everything (laughs) that has ever (laughs) happened in the world, ever. And uh, including the, one of the, my favourite lines as a teacher, and I swear this kid was not taking the mic. He was being absolutely serious when he asked me, "Sir, when was the horse invented?" <laughs> <laughs> to which I just I, I, I couldn't even laugh at that point. <laughs> anyway, we are just coming up on the the one hour and and thirty minute mark. I need to um, clear the the airwaves. So, so Sarah, thank you so much. It's always thank a pleasure. you so much for having I me hope on. To see you in person soon. We'll I know. Beyond COVID now, so, so hopefully, uh, and you enjoy the rest of your Friday evening. Thank you so to much. everyone else uh, listening live. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I'll be back in four weeks. I'm looking for guests. Actually, uh, I'm looking for guests. So I'll be pestering people on Twitter 
about that very soon. But until then, thank you so much. This has been The Late Show with me, Paul Hamilton. It's been great, and I'll see you soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.